This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 138 of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo, joined by my good friend and colleague, Ryan Dunleavy. We cover the Giants, and Ryan, the Giants enter Sunday afternoon at 1-3, and three, but this is a really unique contest because you have the Carolina Panthers, who were in a lot of ways built by Giants general manager Dave Gettleman, Christian McCaffrey, a first-round pick, Saquon Barkley, a first-round pick, Pat Shermer, coach with Ron Rivera in the past Jonathan Stewart lots of guys going back and back and forth between both teams this is going to be kind of bizarro Dave Gettleman world as you wrote about on Thursday yeah this could be uh the Carolina Giants or the New York Panthers or you mentioned some guys I'll throw out some other Russell Shepard played for the Panthers is now with the Giants um Mike Shula was the Panthers offensive coordinator last year. Thomas McGahee was the Panthers special teams coordinator last year. They're both with the Giants. I asked Ron Rivera, Panthers coach, about it uh, yesterday, and he said uh, he got a good laugh from the media. I, I might misquote him, but it was something along the lines of, he knows what I know that they know that he knows what I know that we know. And it was <laughs> – he got a good laugh, just like I got there from you, because that's it. Really, there there are no secrets in the NFL, but there really are no secrets in this game. Absolutely not. And we're going to get into this matchup, break it down from all angles, what the Giants need to do and how they really bounce back and turn the tide of their season. Another disappointing start. But before we get into it, we'd love if you would subscribe to the show. If you like what you hear on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, leave us those five star reviews. They really help us grow the show. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. And you can also find this on YouTube. Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Stitcher, all of your favorite podcast platforms. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL and Ryan is at R.Y. Dunleavy. Uh, Ryan, this is another familiar spot for the Giants. They're one and three now, not getting great play out of the quarterback position. The defense has struggled mightily against the zone read, and they might run into the best quarterback at running that this week in Cam Newton. Uh, Big picture, this feels like the type of game that it's not only all hands on deck just to get to two and three, but, but I feel like this is a season at a crossroads, especially given the opponents coming up with the Panthers, the Eagles and the Falcons back to back to back. Yeah, this is 
I hate the term must win. You'll get to know that about me. Giants fans will get to know that about me because I don't what game is not a must win. And if it and if you really want to play it literally, then really must win games are only like the ones the Yankees played against the athletics where your season's over if you do not win. But this feels like something akin to a must win game because the Giants, you know, like you said, one and four and then a short week against the Eagles. It's uh feels like something like the giant like do or die for the giants i think that's why you're seeing uh olivier vernon you know kind of make sure this is the week he's back on the field eli apple back on the field uh the giants kind of rallying the reinforcements i don't think evan ingram will play i think uh, he's still two or three weeks away evan ingram with a sprained yeah. mcl you're looking at a three to four week minimum on that injury yeah. he didn't really do much of anything in practice on wednesday we'll see on thursday after the injury report comes out if he's able to do uh any more even be a limited participant yeah. but uh i i think ryan that when you look at this game and and i know that Eli Apple's probably coming back and that's going to be a nice help against Devin Funches and Torrey Smith and uh, you know, a guy like DJ Moore who's a rookie trying to find his footing. They thought he'd be a real deep threat and he hasn't really uh, produced so far through the first three games. He's no but, Calvin Ridley. No, he is that he is not. But you look at, at Olivier Vernon and the Giants pass rush uh, near the bottom of the league in total sacks. They haven't generated a whole heck of a lot of pressure. I think he'll help especially against a mobile quarterback like Cam Newton. But I don't know that getting him back is the difference maker for this defense. No, look, you said it two minutes ago. They're going to face a ton of zone read, which they have not stopped. And on the other side of the ball, they're going to face a ton of cover too, which we talked about at length on our on our last episode of this podcast. They're going to face a lot of cover too. The Giants on both sides of the ball are going to face something that they have not handled well. And they're in prove it time where every opponent is just going to say, "Okay, this is what's working against you guys. Prove to me that you got better at it. And to talk about uh, proving it, Ryan, I think this is a litmus test for Pat Shermer. And I know that it's only uh, the fifth game of his tenure as the head coach here with the Giants. But I look at the first drive last week when they methodically marched the ball down the field. There was balance. They ran the ball. They they, they threw the ball, uh, you know, relatively well over the middle. And then Eli over the top to Sterling Shepard, where he led him on a very nice pass. It kind of looked like what you saw out of the Houston Texans game where the Giants rolled Eli Manning out, got him throwing on the run a little bit, seeing the field from a different angle. But then they went away from it for three quarters. And I think that when you look at the soft cover two that's been played now by the Saints and the Dallas Cowboys, you're probably going to see more of it against the Panthers. When you look at getting away from the running game, which Shermer admitted immediately afterwards he thought was a mistake and said on on Wednesday that they need to commit to running the ball with Saquon Barkley more than nine times. I I think, Ryan, this is, if nothing else, it's a litmus test on Pat Shermer's ability to call a complete game on the offensive side and start to, as you pointed out in the previous episode, dictate what the offense is doing rather than taking what the defense is giving you. Yeah, I got a slightly different take, but I mostly agree with you. I don't know if it's a litmus test for Shermer because to me, if Shermer fails, he's not going anywhere. Our our buddy, uh, former NJ.com hot take master, Elliot Shore Parks, asked us, like, is there a chance Shermer doesn't survive this season? And I was thinking 0.0, zero chance. Zero like animal zero. house. Yes. 0.0. <laughs> 0. If, if he went one in 15, he's back next season. As long as, you know, total disarray doesn't settle in like last year with McAdoo. But if he went one in 15 and everything's or, kept order, uh, he would 
be back. The Giants are not the kind of organization that looks for that constant change. Well, let me but, redefine litmus test. I, I'm not saying that if they lose this game, he's on the hot seat. I, I'm speaking more of from a confidence level standpoint and for the I, team and the fan base that correct. this thing can get better. Correct. That there's and progress. I, and I agree with you. That's what I'm saying. I agree with you, but I don't know that it's just for Shermer. I think it's more of a litmus test for the Shermer-Manning dynamic. And look, I've been on this from the beginning. I wrote a story in the offseason with Trent Dilfer saying he thought it was a good marriage after watching a good, you know, 40 practices this offseason. Um I wrote that I thought it was I talked to Kurt Warner and he thought it was an awkward marriage. And I kind of I kind of think it's an awkward marriage. I think I think Shermer's offense is very um, dink and dunk. Uh, We we had this debate a little bit in the press room the other day. People are saying maybe his if you watch him in the past, it's not dink and dunk. It's uh, it's more downfield. Well, that's what Manning wants to do. So then if you're telling me Shermer wants to throw the ball downfield and Manning has thrown the ball downfield, well, then what you're telling me is Manning is getting downfield play calls and turning them down. Well, so, here, here's what, here's my thought on that. If that's the case, that's alarming. I, I agree. And I think that that's kind of where this thing is heading because I, like we said on the previous pod, I went into the Saints locker room after the game and I was told that, you know, they thought they put a scare in Eli Manning and that there were shots over the top that he didn't take. And I think that when you look at the numbers, his completion percentage is, is the, a career high, 71.4, but he's averaging 6.9 yards per attempt. And when you look back at Pat Shermer and his previous stops, uh, Sam Bradford set a career record at second all time. I, I think it was somewhere around 72% was his completion percentage at that point in time. It's now second behind Drew Brees. He averaged 7.1 yards per attempt. Last year, Case Keenum up around 70% completion percentage, well over 7.3 yards per attempt. Eli Manning, not even at that seven yards per attempt benchmark, 21st in the league right now that that shows me and just from the eye test Ryan I get the sense that Eli Manning is, is looking downfield and if it's not there dumping it off to Saquon Barkley dumping it off to Sterling Shepard over the middle not really giving the offense a chance to stretch the field with that deep ball dynamic and Eli didn't even have that many answers when I brought yeah. that up to him yesterday two things odd there one uh, you brought up a good stat with that uh, average per average yards I'll give you another one uh, NFL Next Gen Stats, which I only recently discovered and is a tremendous website that's free for people. Um, he Eli Manning's average pass is only traveling four yards in the air past the line of scrimmage. Uh, the only quarterback averaging less is Sam Bradford, another Shermer protege who has been benched with the Cardinals. So of all the quarterbacks who have you know thrown enough passes to qualify – Eli Manning is only ahead of one guy in terms of his pass going only four yards beyond the line of scrimmage, beyond the beyond the line of scrimmage. That's pretty alarming when you talk oh, I about totally it. Agree. And then the second thing I'd add to that is I don't know if I blame Manning. Like, I just think that maybe after two and a half years of getting his butt kicked, maybe he's a little uh, uh, quick trigger happy, like. 
maybe he's a little got a little whiplash in the pocket. Maybe he knows that if he holds the ball for that extra half second for Beckham or Shepard to break a deep route open, he's going to get clobbered from behind. Well, I think there's something to be said for that. And and I think that I've seen that theory floated a couple different places that he's just been ruined by playing behind that offensive line for the past two plus years. It's been so subpar in all the hits that he's taken. But if that's the case, I don't know how you trust that guy back there. I don't know how you go forward with that guy back there if he's just so reluctant to throw it deep and and, and settles so easily on the check down because he's afraid to get hurt. How do you move forward from there? I don't know if it's afraid to get hurt. I don't because I think afraid to get hurt is almost something you nods. And let's talk about Brett Favre had great comments. I mean, terrific comments on Sirius XM NFL yep. radio where he said what we all know, which is, you know, people, quarterbacks lie. And just because somebody says something doesn't mean that doubt's not creeping into his mind. The, he, you know, he, he played till he was 41. And he said at the end of his career, he started to wonder, do people still believe in me? Can I still get this done? Eli Manning always projects confidence, but you have to wonder if Brett Favre had those thoughts. And Brett Favre is the only one who played in more consecutive games, 297, than Eli Manning. Eli Manning started 210 games and he's never missed in a row and he's never missed a game because of injury. That's because he's a guy who knows how to take a hit. He knows how to crumble his body in the right position so he doesn't absorb the the uh, brute force of his sack. Well, you know what? Maybe in the last couple of years, he's gotten tired of doing that. It could very well be. And, and I think that when you look at the tape against the Saints, the offensive line played significantly better against New Orleans than I thought they had played at any other point throughout the course of the year. I agree. Uh, especially on the first drive. And, and still, that didn't translate even to Beckham getting the ball in space underneath with the chance to make a big play after the catch, as he did the previous game twice against the Houston Texans, once before halftime, once early in the third quarter. That dynamic wasn't there. They didn't push the ball downfield, and they got away from running the ball. And I think that if you want this offense to really start clicking, I think Pat Shermer's right. I I think that's, and we talked about this on on Tuesday, I, I think that Saquon Barkley needs to touch the ball 25, 30 times, yeah. and you have to target Odell Beckham yeah. 8, 10, 12 times yeah. in the passing game and let your playmakers dig yeah. you out of this hole. What I think they really need, and I think you nailed it, Beckham and Barkley, but here's what I think they really need out of those two guys. As much as everybody loves a good Saquon Barkley 28-yard run or a 60-yard home run, everybody loves, what they really need from Saquon Barkley is six yards, yep. six yards. Six yards. Which they started to get consistently from him last week, and then they got away from running the ball altogether. So the pan, so the Panthers have, or any opponent in the future, is like, okay, we didn't just give up one huge play that we can, you know, miss some tackles. This is a regular thing. The Giants are moving the ball. We've got to move our safeties up. So that's yep. the first thing I think they need is regular first down worthy carries instead of just home runs. And then second thing they need is the classic Odell Beckham catch a 12 yard pass and turn it into a 58 yard game. That's what, that's what they need uh, where he's just, you know, comically making guys dive, miss bounce off him. They need one of those catch and zoom to the house kind of runs. And everybody will say, okay, now we have to figure out a different way to cover Odell. Yep, and a different way to defend this this offense in general. Ryan, let's dive into Sunday's game. And I got to be honest, when you go through some of these key matchups, you scratch your head and you wonder what kind of answer the Giants are going to have, specifically with Cam Newton. And I talked to Lorenzo Carter about the fact that this team has been beaten over and over and over again by zone reads. And he said, well, you have to hit Cam Newton. You have to hit him 
you know, early, often get him thinking about the pass rush. But the problem is he's so good at making plays that the pass rush doesn't necessarily matter if you're not getting sacks. Through three games, Newton, I think he's off to maybe the best start of his career, 67.4% completion percentage. Wow, that's big. Remember, he had that one year he was insane. He was out of his mind insane, right? Yeah. He won the MVP. Yeah, 646 yards through three games, five touchdowns, one pick. So he's doing a better job protecting the ball. And he has 28 rushes for 136 yards and three touchdowns. So Newton alone has accounted for eight touchdowns through three games. So I look at what he's done so far, and you go back to the Cowboy game and how he just lit up that defense that that shut down the Giants the following week. You look at a couple of the other games. I think he's off to a terrific start. And Alec Ogletree, the inside linebacker, is probably going to be tasked with if not spying him, diagnosing those zone reads early on, Ogletree needs to needs to have a big game, and the Giants' front seven might need to have their best performance if they're even going to have a chance to win this game on Sunday. Yeah, I think Ogletree's had uh, quietly had one of the best years on the defense. I mean, I, I think uh, there was talk before the season that he might be overpaid, courtesy of the contract the Rams gave him that the Giants acquired via trade. Uh, I don't think so. I think he's he's been worth, you know, relatively speaking, he's been worth what they're paying him both because he's played well. He's held up in coverage better than I thought. He's played well against a run. And he is the exact leader that this team needs because he checks. You can be a good leader, but if you're not a good player, no one listens to you and you can be a good player and have no leadership voice. The Giants have at least one of those guys. Yeah. And. And uh, he's both. He's a good player who people respect. So uh, that being said, I still think Cam Newton wins that battle. I mean, I just I, I like the way B.J. Hill's played on the front seven. I like the way Ogletree's played. B.J. Hill's been terrific. And you look at this draft class, if you go Saquon Barkley, Will Hernandez, who's putting together a really strong season over the last couple of weeks, B.J. Hill with yeah. two sacks already, Lorenzo Carter, you're getting four key contributors out of those first four picks. I, I think that this class could go down as, as one of the better ones the Giants have had in recent memory. Yeah. So I, but I still like Newton in this matchup. I just, you know, like, like we pointed out earlier, zone read stuff kills the giants. And until they figure out how to stop it, then you Cam Newton's a nightmare matchup. And the problem is, even if you do start to contain Cam Newton in the zone reads, you got to worry about the run pass options with Christian McCaffrey, who, like yes. Saquon Barkley, was a high first round pick in 2017. By Dave Gettleman. By Dave Gettleman. So you know that he loves his running backs. Uh, he was primarily used as a wide receiver last year, but the Panthers have really balanced that workload in 2018, giving him more carries. 46 carries through three weeks, 271 yards, 22 catches, 157 yards. And he's among the league leaders in yards from scrimmage through three weeks. You look at McCaffrey, and we talked about this yesterday in, in the press room, Ryan. We think it's going to be B.J. Goodson who's going to be tasked with following him out of the backfield. I don't know that you necessarily spy him, but he's the type of player that you need to know where he is at all times. Yep, exactly. Uh, I agree. Uh, I think that the Newton-McCaffrey combination uh, right now is better than the Barkley-Manning combination. And so... Uh, I don't know what you do there in terms of trying to make sure that you have to pick your poison. It's kind of what the Giants want their defenses, their opposing defenses to have to do. 
Yep, and I think that a lot of that is Newton, right? I think when you can make those kind of plays on the run and draw a pass rusher to you and then dump it off to McCaffrey for a little screen in the flat in space, that's where you get those big plays after the catch, and the Giants would certainly like to start doing that. But it seems like whenever Barkley gets the ball on those dump-off passes, it's after the defender already has time to close. We'll see if that's different this week. Uh, Another really interesting matchup that I'm going to keep an eye on, Ryan, uh, Dante Jackson, the Panthers cornerback against Odell. Kind of been a Jekyll and Hyde start to the season for Odell Beckham Jr. Hasn't scored a touchdown so far this year. He has two games over 100 yards, two games below 100 yards against the Texans and uh, the Saints. Um, You look at what Jackson's been able to do. He has 19 tackles and three interceptions. So this is a guy that's a ball hawk, can get his fair share of interceptions, knocks the ball down in pass coverage. You touched on it earlier. If you're going to get this offense going, Odell needs to be one of the focal points. Yeah, and I'll just keep picking Odell. I mean, look, I picked him last week to beat Marshawn Latimer. He didn't. Uh, But I'm just going to keep picking Odell because I think he's the best or number two wide receiver in the NFL right now. So I can't imagine Dante Jackson, a rookie, keeping up with him. I think Dante Jackson's an LSU guy, too. So this is LSU versus LSU. I'm sure Odell has been back uh, to work uh, out against Jackson when Jackson was in college. A lot of alums do that. They go back to their colleges and uh, work out with the college kids. So I'm sure there's a level of familiarity there. And I, I got to think that favors the five-year all-pro veteran. I think where where this will really determine what Odell's able to do, it, it goes hand-in-hand hand with our next matchup, and that's Eli Manning against the Panthers' pass defense. And I think that if Manning can't get going, obviously it's going to be a struggle for Beckham to exploit that matchup against Jackson. Uh, we talked about the 74.2 completion percentage. We talked about uh, the 6.99 yards per attempt. But if you look at the Panthers' uh, passing game, they're surrounding an average of 247 yards per game. That's 100 yards less than what the Saints were allowing last week when they entered the game. So this is a tougher pass defense than Eli Manning has faced last week. And uh, I don't know how you get better off of that performance against a better passing defense overall. Yeah, you know what? I'm, I think I'm going to pick Manning because I know the stats say the um... – I, I know the stats say the Panthers have this great pass defense, but I was going through the names last night, and perhaps this is because, you know, I was just casually paying attention to the NFL until January, and now here I am studying it like it's my job, which it is. Um, none of the guys really flashed to me. I mean, Captain Munnerlin's a good player. Yeah. Um, their safeties are good players. I mean, they just signed Eric Reed. Uh who knows if he'll play and how quickly he'll get adjusted to the uh, Panthers defense, but it doesn't strike me as a star laden secondary. You know what I mean? Like it's, this right. is the Jaguars secondary. So um, I don't know. I'm, I think I'm going to pick Manning. Cause I, I, I look, I think it's Manning versus the Panthers secondary scheme, the cover two more or Look, maybe they'll go man to man like the Texans did. That didn't work out so well for the Texans. No, I think that when that goes on tape and Ron Rivera being a defensive guru that he is, I I don't think he's going to quite follow that game plan. Yeah. 
So finally, Janoris Jenkins against Devin Funchess. We touched on the wide receiving core a little bit. DJ Moore yet to live up to expectations. Maybe this is the week he breaks out for the Panthers, but you have a veteran Torrey Smith, a veteran in Devin Funchess. But Jenkins, to me, is one of the more athletic cornerbacks in the league. I kind of like Jenkins' chances here to take away Funchess, which could funnel the rest of the offense over to Torrey Smith or DJ Moore. And that's where I think Eli Apple, if he's able to play, uh, is going to have to have a big game as well. But if I'm just looking at this match, up Funchess against Jenkins. I'm going to take Janoris Jenkins in this one. Yeah, agreed. I, I, I'll write something later this week. I think Jenkins, hey, you know, you can't really say except for the touchdown he gave up at the start of the Cowboys game because that kind of ruined the whole Cowboys game. But except for the game, touchdown he gave up against the Cowboys, I think Jenkins is having a really terrific year. I mean, what he did to Michael Thomas, he's not usually a guy who shadows one receiver and he shadowed Michael Thomas with Eli Apple out basically stepped up and said, you know, we don't have our other starting corner, so I'm not going to let Michael Thomas take advantage of Dante Dion and B.W. Webb. He shadowed him and he really shut him down. I thought he did a terrific job. So um, I certainly think he'll be able to shut down these Panthers receivers. I mean, one of the things the Panthers, since they went to that Super Bowl for like four years ago, was is the knock on them has been they don't have enough playmakers for cam newton in his prime kind of the way the knock on the giants was they didn't have an offensive line for eli manning at the end of his prime is they panthers didn't have enough playmakers well gettleman added mccaffrey before he got fired and now uh the panthers added dj moore you can tell that's what they're trying to do but these are still young guys jenkins is a pro bowl caliber cornerback so again i'll take the experience Yep, and I think that getting Eli Apple back is going to be a big boost to the secondary if he's able to play. Uh, I, I don't. He think was this, playing terrific. So. Yeah, I, I thought he was off to easily the best start of his career yeah. from what I've seen from afar. Uh, if he can get back and, and pick up where he left off in this system, that's going to be a big boost for this defense. Yes, absolutely. I agree. I mean, I think uh, I think Apple was playing terrific, and then you can move B.W. Webb and Michael Thomas back to the slot, and all of a sudden the secondary, which I thought was a pretty big question mark at the start of the season, actually has been uh, strength for the defense because there hasn't been much of a pass rush. All right, Ryan, before we get to our picks, who's the difference maker on Sunday? I picked the I picked the Panthers, so I probably got to pick a Panther as a difference maker. I, I would probably uh, – Gosh, McCaffrey's an easy choice. I would say the difference maker, though, is probably um, uh, probably the offensive line, probably the Panthers offensive line, given Newton time opening holes, Ryan Khalil or one of those guys. Uh, that's probably if I had to pick one guy, I'd probably pick Ryan Khalil up in the middle of that Panthers offensive line. Yeah, I think Cam Newton's going to be the difference maker here just because I haven't that's seen a, that's a that's a cop out. That's too easy. <laughs> quarterback's always the difference. Man. Give me somebody else. I'll give you somebody else. I think this is the game that uh, Dante Jackson steps go. up and shows that he's a pro. I mean, he has three interceptions through three games and it, it doesn't doesn't get any better than uh, lining up against Odell Beckham Jr. If he comes down with an interception or if he holds Holds yeah. Delta under 100 yards. It's going to be panic. It's, he's going to open some eyes, and it'll be panic time in general okay. for this Giants offense. There you go. Because that'll yeah. then be three games out of five where Odell Beckham Jr. fails to cross 100 yards if Jackson does what I think he's capable of doing. Yep. There you go. So, all right, let's let's get right to it. What's your pick for the game? Uh, 
It's a good question. You probably have it because I sent it to you. Uh, I picked the Panthers. I think I picked them like 21 to 12. Or oh, something. there you go. You hit it right on the head. Yeah. No, there. <laughs> so how about that? Yeah. Uh, I knew I picked a low scoring game where the Giants have to rely on field goals. So uh, I think 21 uh, 12 kind of thing. I think same game we've seen where the Giants you know, are struggling to put points on the board, maybe get some drives going that stall in the red zone where teams really key in on Odell and without Evan Ingram there to open up the middle, the seam. Uh, I just think maybe the Giants are get some, get a little more consistent drives going, but frustratingly have to settle for field goals. Yeah, this is and a, let's mention Aldrich Rojas having a great year. Been, ter- been terrific. It looks like a completely different guy than last year. Uh, Ryan, this is pretty simple for me. The Giants can't move the football consistently on offense with the exception of that Texan game. And that Houston game is looking more like the outlier than the model for what this offense is. They struggle with zone reads. Cam Newton's probably the most physically gifted quarterback that they'll have faced so far this year. Uh, they've struggled to score points. I think this thing gets out of hand early, and I think that the Panthers win this game 20 23 to 10, but it wouldn't surprise me if the touchdown doesn't come until the fourth quarter for the Giants, similar to what we saw against the Cowboys. Yeah, that would be, I mean, it'd be frustrating for Giants fans, but I feel like we've seen the, the same thing over and over and over. So why not one more over? Yep. Why not one more time, Ryan, any parting shots before we get out of here? I do. I have one quick one. We Let's mentioned how this is the Dave Gettleman bowl. Uh, I encourage fans, if you have not seen it, Steve Politi, our colleague, did a hilarious, uh, with a local band, uh, did a hilarious take on uh, Save Us, Dave Gettleman, kind of to the music of Pearl Jam's Better Man. Uh, It was back earlier this year. Uh, It was absolutely hilarious. The band did a great job. Politi wrote all the lyrics. It's it's literally hilarious. Uh, If you have not seen it, we'll link to it a couple times in our stuff this week since it's the Gettleman Bowl. Like we said, he built both teams. But the save us get save us. Dave Gettleman is absolutely hilarious if you have not seen it. We'll have to check it out. Everybody follow Ryan on Twitter at R.Y. Dunleavy. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. Again, please subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Leave us those five-star reviews. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Uh, Look forward to the game on Sunday. Look forward to breaking it down with you, Ryan, again early next week. Yeah, I'm taking a road trip. How about that?